Welcome to the Paul Series Podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. All right, I'm ready for a nap. Drew's ready for a nap. That's a strong opener. We should just lead with that. <laughs> just lead with... I got a cold. What's the best nap you've taken lately? <laughs> do you do you take naps? Are you a nap guy? I'm not a nap guy, but uh, I those last couple weeks I was sick, so I took like three hour naps every day. <laughs> it was the best ever. Like no one likes to be sick, but oh man, they were good naps. I feel like there's a line somewhere in there where a nap is no longer a nap. Like there's a certain number of hours where it's basically like a night's sleep during the day. That's true, but I also feel like these people who say, oh, I took a 20-minute nap and felt so refreshed, you're a liar. No, dude, I love no, those. No, that, that, yeah, wrong. <laughs> As expected, you don't believe me, but here, let me tell you why I love a 20-minute nap. Um, there's a book called uh, When by Daniel Pink, and he talks about the science of perfect timing, and it's all about like neuroscience and circadian rhythms. And sometimes I'm skeptical of that kind of thing, but he talks about the Nappuccino, and I fully believe in the Nappuccino. Hold on a second. Is that a cup of coffee or? (laughs) Hold on, I'll explain it. It's a combination of the two. So caffeine takes like 20 minutes to effectively hit your system. And so what you do is you like down a cup of coffee. When you're going to take a nap, you down a cup of coffee and then immediately lay down. And it this only really works if you're the kind of person who can fall asleep quickly. And I, I exist one inch above sleep. So like at any given moment, if I must fall asleep, I can. I guess. I don't know if that's just because I have young kids or whatever. But down a cup of coffee, lay down immediately. I'm asleep in a minute and a half. And ta- I, I set my alarm for 22 minutes and take a cup of... And when I wake up, I hit... I feel amazing. I'm like super alert. The coffee is hitting in and I'm like ready to go. I'm like, ah! okay. if I, 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 here's what I want you to do. Okay. okay. The next time you do your nappuccino, okay. <laughs> Don't say it's a condescending. For all of our listeners, because I think they're as skeptical as I am. Okay. I want you to set up your camera and video, because I don't believe you can fall asleep in a minute and a half. <laughs> and you have to sleep the night before. You can't stay up all night and then somehow convince us that you can fall asleep that Okay. Much. But welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm sorry we're recording and Aaron and I are disagreeing yet again. Imagine that, right? I'm. We're going to have a guest on this podcast. Her name is Lauren Hickson, and she's going to tell you how fast I fall asleep every single night. It's like a running joke that I'll be like, babe, I'm not even tired. And then she's like, okay, I'll talk to you in 30 seconds. And every time she says I'm asleep, but whatever. Welcome to the podcast. I actually don't even know what week this is of Paul series. Is it week Week six? six. Week six. six. Okay. Thank you, Connor. Oh man. So Drew, what are you working on? I know you're a, you're a builder. You're a maker. You like to work on the house. Ashley uh, keeps you busy, Busy AKA tells you what to do. Yes. (laughs) So what, what are you building lately? Um, right now I'm working on some molding. Um, we have board and batten around our, our house that I've kind of put up. And so actually we have, we walk into our front uh, door, there's stairs immediately on your right. And so she wanted like board and batten, but like 12 feet high. So that makes it a little more complex, but mm. I actually, we, I actually just finished it and she started painting it and it's like, wow, that looks awesome. So nice. pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, my wife definitely keeps me busy building something. So I'm sure she's got... Yeah. Do you normally do that kind of stuff out of plywood? Um, yeah, finished plywood. I mm-hmm. put it through my table saw and then put it up slowly. Nice. 
And uh, she's the painter, you're the builder. Is that the arrangement or? Yes, it is the arrangement that my wife often suckers me into painting somehow. <laughs> um, it's not fair because I'm like, you know what? We're My wife listens to podcasts. I got to give her credit. She works right alongside me. So the kids go to bed at like around 730. We work till about midnight, often nights. And so we're nuts. Yeah, that's for sure. But hey, maybe I can get a nappuccino and we'll be even stronger. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Try it sometime. Don't let the haters bring you down. All right. Total shift of gears. Um, I've been loving the ball series. Honestly, um, that sounds self-serving because I've preached two of the six weeks, but <laughs> um, it's been fun to hear. Uh, you've mentioned it a billion times. It's been very challenging. Every minute we spend with Paul's life is challenging, yeah. but I've really enjoyed it. But what's coming next? What do we have coming in sermon series and which series do you think you're most excited about? Yeah, so we'll finish up Paul in a couple of weeks, and then we'll jump into a, a, a series called Picture Perfect Family, where we're looking at the the women in Jesus's lineage building up to Christmas Eve. I, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that series, because we're going to talk about some characters that we often don't, we might not even know their names, but we don't right. know much about them, and their stories are kind of pretty scandalous. Dude, they is, are super scandalous. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun series. Um, then New Year, we're going to have a vision talk, kind of cast some vision for our church for uh, you know, a week and just kind of set the, the trajectory of our church and pray for our church. Um, and then we're jumping into a series about God. God, you know, God is, who is God? Why do we need God? Um, so kind of defining God's attributes. Uh, and then a series it, we're going to be kind of, I, the series that I'm really excited about is a series, uh, our creative team hasn't kind of finalized a name, um, but we're going to call it Unfiltered Jesus. Um, I'm excited about this for uh, kind of multiple facets. That one, studying Jesus. Uh, oh man, you think Paul's good? Yeah. <laughs> Wait till you look at Jesus. <laughs> this is, this is... You're talking about conviction, but we're going to Israel and we're going to shoot on site. So mm. we're going to leave in February and um, we're going to do a little bit of a different style of on site series, um, which I'm really excited about about more ingraining people into the story and, uh, and allowing them to see the sights and being like, man, make the story come alive. And so um, it's going to be a little bit different. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how that pans out and what that looks for. And just, man, looking at Jesus and how unfiltered he was, it's, I'm pumped for it. So I'm really looking forward to it too. I know these, these series, anytime you're going to travel and shoot, there's kind of a lot on the line, right? Anything from... <laughs> You know, it costs money to be there, so we want to maximize every single minute. But we also, you have to write really far in advance yep. in order to have something to say. And this year's is leading right into Easter, so there's kind of a lot on the line in that sense yeah. because we really want it to be effective for one of the biggest Sundays of the year. So um, I'm feeling a little bit of the pressure, I guess, is the right word to say as we work together on these. But I'm also very excited to see how they all come together. And um, being over there and shooting is just a really amazing experience. Yeah. So. I'm also looking forward to that. And in there, uh, after Thanksgiving, Graham Spruill is going to be giving a talk, yep. and then Nate Miller after Christmas is giving one as well. So yep. we're going to get to hear a few different speakers between now and the New Year. So yeah. that's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, man. It's Christmas, man. Christmas is coming up, and I love Christmas. And by the way, shout out, me and my wife are decorating for Christmas this weekend. Yes, Jesus is alive. He's born. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I love Christmas. You guys know this by now, but it... Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for Christmas. Oh, no. What, what are you mad about? You sent me a picture <laughs> yesterday of a Christmas tree I did. in your small group. A, my community group has had a Christmas tree up since before Halloween, which is certifiably the earliest I've ever heard of in world history. You know, whoever that is, I am proud of you. If you listen to the podcast, <laughs> just know your lead pastor loves you for leading the way. That's what Paul did. He led the way. Follow their example, Aaron, as they set up their Christmas tree. <laughs> just like Jesus would have. <laughs> <laughs> 
exactly. <laughs> he was super into Christmas trees. He was, he was Christmas, Aaron. So everywhere we went, he took Christmas with him. Oh, Touche. Jesus, Juke. <laughs> Burn. So let's get to Paul here, Drew. Um, one of the things you talked about on Sunday was the fact that there's going to be opposition to the message of the gospel itself and also oppositions to the effects of the gospel. So I'm just wondering, where do you see that in our world? And uh, what does that look like? Which one gets more negative attention? Do you think the message or the effects of the message or yeah, just speak to that a little bit. Uh, the two, I think when it comes to the two sources of opposition, I think from society's perspective, I think the overwhelming opposition comes from the offense of the, the, the message itself. So from like a, a big picture society, I think the opposition that th- we deal with is just like, wow, that's an offensive message. Like, mm-hmm. cool, I can't get behind that. Someone died and ra- rose from the dead. That's that's crazy enough. But then you're going to call me a sinner and you're going to tell me I need to change my life when I can find things in your life that are jacked up too. Right. So, and the exclusivity of it, like only Jesus, not any other way. And our society hates that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of those things are, are, are offensive. So from like society's perspective, I think that is the heavier weight of opposition. But when it comes from like more personal stuff, like my life or uh, someone else's life, I think it is the change that the gospel produces because mm-hmm. it affects our relationships. It, 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 it's like I said, it affects, you know, a husband and a spouse. It, it affects friends, dating relationships. It affects how I interact with my coworkers and my classmates. Like when the gospel does change you, people are going to notice it. And sometimes they might notice it in a good way. Like, wow, I'm actually, this This is a good thing. But a lot of times it's like, wow, you're different. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You're no longer fun anymore. You can't do the things we used to yeah, do anymore. I like the old you better. You know, yeah. the, the you I knew and loved would. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot more fun. Like, right. you know, and so I think they play differently, you know, from a societal perspective, I think it is the content and, but from a personal way, like our relationships, I think it is more, it's more geared towards, uh, the, the change that the gospel produces. And so, you know, yeah. Is that true? I guess as I'm thinking about it, then it, it makes sense that it would go the other way as well. Like if society reacts strongly to the message, it makes sense that they actually react somewhat decently to the effects of the gospel. You know, when Christians are doing Christianity right and they're loving others, especially the least of these and taking care of, you know, poor people or people who are, you know, marginalized or whatever, society applauds that, you know, in general, like many hospitals and orphanages and various things that help our society, our society would actually applaud the effects of the gospel in some ways. And I think it goes both and though. So there are things that our society is going to say, wow, man, I'm I'm glad that these people are being changed by the gospel, but mm-hmm. then there's you know controversial areas like oh, abortion, like you know you know the controversial things like homosexuality. Sure, that we we got to stand for the truth, and that content is offensive. Yeah, you know, that's true. To, to people, and so I think it it plays both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we have to understand that man that there are certain things that our society is going to be like, man, I love Christians because they love people who are overlooked and who are marginalized, but. There's also things that we stand for that society is going to going to rebel against. Like, how mm-hmm. could you be so judgmental or so intolerant? Very true. Very true. Okay, so I hear what you're saying, um, but have you have you seen that in your own life? Like, what has that even looked like for you personally? Yeah, I'm. It, you know, I preach from a stage every weekend, and so there are thousands of people who love to, you know, 
hear what I say and and have opinions, (laughs) which is great. It makes me a a better communicator. But I think from a societal perspective, you know, when I look at God's word, there are certain things it stands for that our society doesn't agree. And so I can't shy away from that truth. And when I do declare, you know, that truth based on like what I believe about abortion or homosexuality, what the Bible says about those things, it's going to cause opposition from people to, you know, who, who are saying like, how could you believe that? Or Mm -hmm. how, you know, how can you, how could God be for that? And so those are some ways that our society, you know, based off, we all deal with this as Christians, you know, following the truth often offends people based on our beliefs. And so I have to deal with that from a societal perspective. But then I think even from inside the church, you know, from from Christians, like there's opposition to some of the gospel on hard topics. You know, we... Here we go. Here we go. Say this. (laughs) eight, eight, Eight months ago, something like that, we did a series called Fractured. And we talked about some really hard topics, you know, racism, sexism, classism. And honestly, I'm not sure our church was really ready for that. Um, one, because they're, they're hard topics. Right. They are. And I, I don't even admit to know all the answers to that. Sure. No, uh, nor do I think you would say we talked about them perfectly or something. Exactly. You know, and we, we went into it saying, hey, we're, we're going to offend some people. Right. Thinking, oh, okay. Maybe we won't as many. If we apologize first, maybe we won't offend people as much. But, you know, I just think we, we had these conversations and they were hard to wrestle through and there were offenses there. There were people who disagreed and, you know, I got to deal with those things. I got to wrestle through those things and knowing, man, hey, I didn't do it perfectly, but I did my best to represent God's word accurately and correctly, but also lead us to a place where our church honestly needs to go. Mm-hmm. And topics like that, they don't necessarily grow us numerically. That's not necessarily a way to gain a crowd. In fact, that's uh, how you lose a crowd. Yeah, really. and and yeah. and we uh, would you say? I think we've had some people that that probably walked away from our church as a result of that. Oh um, yeah, man, I've had <laughs> I've had people on Twitter tell me some things I never knew about me. So it's been you know that's just the way sure. people are, and you deal with that stuff. But they're you know, they're not going to grow us numerically those topics, but they can stretch us to think more biblically. Yes, that's the point of those series. Is hey, not every series is designed to say hey, we're going to bring you know, people, you know, hey, it's our mission, more and better, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be times where we're saying, hey, this series is to grow us numerically. But then Mm -hmm. there's also series that we're like, hey, this is actually to stretch us and make us better followers of Christ in areas that we don't want to listen to. Mm -hmm. We don't want to talk about, but we have to, because it's, it's, it's going to be pain. You know, it's, it's much like what we we talked about this Sunday is like that pain produces the change. Right. Sometimes that change is someone leaving our church. Sometimes that change is someone thinking, wow, I need to think about these and wrestle through these things. Right. And have conversations about them. And so, yeah, and Jesus did that, you know, kind of like he would have messages from time to time that his disciples would be like, look, everybody's leaving. Could you want to like, you know, issue a Chill public out, apology bro, or something? Can we, can we talk about this a little differently in the future? And he didn't mind occasionally having kind of like pew clearing messages yeah, a little bit. That's the crazy thing about Jesus is you look at his ministry when the crowd got big, he would diminish the crowd. And yeah. how, he, how how would he do that? Talk about something really controversial. Or he would do like one of those DTRs, like let's define the relationship. Oh, hey, if you really want to follow me, it's not about getting fed and being healed. It's about denying yourself and following me. Like yeah. those are the messages that Jesus preached that his disciples were like, Jesus, we're losing people. <laughs> and <laughs> the polls are not looking good, man. Exactly. <laughs> let's try a new approach. Not everything is about church growth, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, this is one thing I'm learning even in ministry, you know, three and a half years into this is, hey, you know, what is success? 
you know, in, in our culture today, success in the church is, you know, is the, is the curve going up? Like, mm-hmm. is it green or is yeah. it red? That's how we define success. Or what are people saying about you? Like Drew's a fantastic preacher or he stinks. Like mm-hmm. that's how we define success. And God is really kind of working in my heart right now and refining what success is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes success is just declaring the truth and watching people leave. You know, that's success in ministry sometimes. And I think as Christians, we have to be okay. Like, hey, I'm successful when I preach the gospel and people hate me for it. People reject me for it. I lose friends for it. Mm -hmm. That can be success. It doesn't feel like success sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it is. Yeah. And so that that brings up a perfect tension that I felt during your message. You get to the very end and you talked about how you've learned to reframe opposition as actually a positive thing, where you feel like you've learned to say, man, if somebody's opposing this, if I'm getting a lot of pushback, that's probably a sign that I'm doing something right because the enemy sees me as a threat. And so he's going to bring up opposition to um, what I'm doing. So I hear that and I can kind of get rallied behind that too, like a little bit contrarian, like, yeah, bring it on. Like, you're just the devil. Like, (laughs) get behind me, Satan. You know, I can get excited about that. Tell the devil, no, not today. You know, that type of thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just with less of you singing. Um, So... I'm um, offended by that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it was the message of the truth, not my own. Well played, well played. <laughs> um, okay, so I get that. Like a little bit contrarian, you know, that like I'm going to push through and I'm going to do the right thing. And that's one approach. But then at the yep. same time, we would want to coach somebody who was preaching the gospel in a way that was offensive. And they could actually say the same thing to you. Let's, I'm just going to give you a scenario. You know, person on the corner, they're screaming at Jesus. Their approach is not helpful. They're very condemning, not with the truth of the gospel, but with a truth of God's condemnation rather than his desire that all people would be saved. You know, so they have this really bad approach and they're getting tons of negative feedback, even from Christians saying like, can you please stop screaming this, tr- this partial truth, like this is not helping us. And they might say to themselves, they might go home and look in the mirror and be like, see, I'm making gospel impact because, Mm -hmm. you know, opposition means that the enemy thinks I'm a threat. So how can I tell if somebody's opposing my message or me as a messenger? Because even in your life, you've said like, oh, I reframe opposition as the enemy, but like, what if it's actually just, you're a jerk, you know? Sorry if that's mean. (laughs) No, I I think this is a great question that we have to think through. And to answer that, I, I think it's the why to the opposition. Like, why are people opposing you? I think for a lot of people, we like to disguise the why. So the guy on the street corner who's yelling at people is like, yeah, well, people are opposing me because I'm telling the truth. And it's like, no, really, why people are opposing you is because your approach to the truth is so bad that people can't stand the truth you're sharing. And, you know, on the opposite end is, you know, Am I, am, am I being opposed because the enemy is seeing me doing what I'm called to? Is the enemy getting mad because I'm being faithful to what God has told me to do in obedience? Now, th- there's a fine line there. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to know fully. I think at some level, you're, you're not going to know, hey, am I being... I also think listening to your critics is, is mm. important in this yeah. journey. You know, like, hey... It would be easy for me as as a pastor who preaches every day. Sometimes I'm going to get feedback. And honestly, sometimes that feedback is accurate. And mm. I got to listen to it and be like, you know what? Dang, they're right. You know, like, oh man, I, I, I did miss it that time. And so I think a person who has the perspective to say, okay, I have opposition. Okay. One, where's that opposition coming from? You know, is it is it lost people? Is it Christians? Where is it coming from? 
and ask myself, is there, is there some morsels of that that is true? Mm-hmm. You know, I think any opposition is a great place of learning. You know, whether you agree with the opposition or not, it's, you know, hey, the, maybe the opposition is coming from the enemy. And I, my, what I learn is like, man, let's keep going. Right. You know, my learning mm-hmm. is like, let's, let's keep going because, hey, I, I feel like this is from the enemy. But maybe the opposition is coming from my approach. And I'm like, wow. I need to adjust some things. And so mm-hmm. I think it's learning from opposition that is the benefit that leads you where you need to go. And it kind of gives you a glimpse of to like, okay, where is this actually coming from and how do I adjust to make it better? That's very helpful. And I even think if, I, if it's okay for me to lean in a little bit and use that illustration of the, the fractured series, maybe as a little bit of some of the things we've learned, like when we did get feedback, you did get feedback of like, basically, I don't like... I don't like the way that you talked about racism, you know, maybe in particular of like people who just were basically saying, I don't agree with what you say about, you know, marginalized people in America type thing. And that's the kind of feedback where you listen and you go like, okay, I think that tells me more about that person than it does about what I said, because I feel pretty confident about what I said and how it reflects God's word. I feel confident about that because it went through this refining process. Lots of people's eyes were on that. Our staff has been on this massive journey when it comes to anti-racism and racial reconciliation and, so I feel pretty good about it content. If you're struggling with my content, that lets me know, okay, that maybe is a you thing, less of a me thing. But then there were also people who, you know, had struggles with the way it was said or when it was rolled out or the timing of it or how it kind of, maybe, maybe people felt like it came out of nowhere. And those are the things that I think that we've learned where we've said oh, like, yeah. wow, man, maybe that series right before the series that came after it or the series that was before it or whatever, maybe that timing wasn't great or maybe we didn't prep our people well or maybe we didn't prep community groups well. Like there are things that we've learned not apologizing for the fact that we talked about a controversial topic, which we needed to talk about and frankly... We need to talk about more. Yeah, <laughs> We're not exactly. done talking about. And we don't shy away from those. Right. But man, did we learn a lot? Did we do it perfectly? No. Like I think the biggest thing that we learned was that timing piece that pe- you know, people just said, "Hey, probably could have waited or or gone earlier." And honestly, they were right. You got to mm-hmm. just tip your hat and say, "Thanks for telling us that." You know, yeah. "Hey, I we hear that and and it's weird. That's, you know, we we don't I don't necessarily view that as opposition, but it can feel like opposition at times." Mm-hmm. Um and I think the difference is sometimes that opposite, it feels like opposition. Once you hear it and understand it, it, it goes from opposition to like, I'm trying to be helpful for you. I'm trying to right. make this better, this place better. And so, you know, I think again, like I said, how we handle opposition determines our legacy. How we deal and, and understand and take in opposition really determines uh, whether I give up or not, or whether I learn from that or not. And so don't be afraid of opposition. Don't be afraid of your critics learn from them, grow in them, and ultimately that will make your legacy, your impact even more effective.